1: Here's your host of the Teacher Career
0: Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez.
1: Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Williams. In this episode, I interview Zia Hassan, who happens to be a very close personal friend of mine. Zia is an educator, a tech consultant, a life coach, and a self-described systems enthusiast. In this episode, we discuss how to discover your core values so that you can focus on what's important to you in your life and your career. Hey Zia, thank you so much for joining us here today.
0: Hey Daphne, thanks for having me.
1: So I like to be as transparent as possible. Zia, you and I actually work together as educational technology consultants and that is how I got to know you but I know you on a much more personal level. For anybody who has no idea who you are, do you wanna give me a little um, rundown of your career history?
0: Sure, I started my career actually in college building systems for Housing and um, the, the, like the residency, uh, you know, where people live, like the dorms and stuff like that. I was like kind of a head RA and I was building these systems for all the different things that had to do with housing at the university, at American University, which led to a job with IBM where I continued building systems for much bigger clients, <laughs> including the government. Um, and that was really where I developed a love of user support and teaching people things. And that got me interested in teaching. And so after six years of working at IBM and doing technology stuff, I completely changed gears. And the year that I got married, I became um, a teacher. And I got trained to be an elementary educator through the Inspired Teaching Program in DC. And that program was very heavily rooted in, in things that I love, like improv theater, was part of our teacher training, which was really cool. And um, I got to teach for a number of years. And then uh, I I left the classroom and became an ed tech consultant because I figured I'd spent half of my career doing tech, half of my career teaching. Why not smash the two things together? And I've been doing that as an independent consultant for the last however many years. It's been now almost four years. What is time these days? (laughs) and uh, through that job, got another job uh, teaching college, being an adjunct professor, uh, and I teach a a human growth and development course at a community college nearby.
1: All the different industries, all the different careers that you have, uh, sounds like one of the themes that is in all of them is that you like to teach or you like to have education learning or teaching kind of be a part of it. What do you think makes that the right choice for you?
0: In everything that I do, in almost everything that I've done in the past, the common thread has been creating tension. So in addition to all of these jobs that I do, I'm also a singer-songwriter. I do a lot of creation, a lot of artistic stuff. And in all of these situations, what I find myself doing is creating tension And then allowing someone else to relieve that tension and in that process there's this learning that happens and even back as far as working with ibm the tension that i might create with a customer uh, and allow them to discover a feature for themselves or discover how to do their job more productively when i became a teacher there is this tension you create with students anyone who's taught in the classroom for any number of years knows that it's not what it looks like on TV. It's not going into a classroom and transmitting knowledge to students and standing in front of a board and writing things and suddenly they know what to do. No, we're creating problems for them to solve. We're creating tension and then and then allowing them to release it so that there's this growth process that happens. And moving into my role as a a tech trainer or as an ed tech person, uh, the same thing occurs. A lot of times people think that in trainings we're gonna be there just telling them how to use things, but you and I both know that it's about putting them in situations that are relevant to their job and allowing the tools to enhance their productivity. So through all of these different facets of my career, I find myself creating tension. And it's funny because I was thinking about the word teach and how we say that when when we're done teaching, the students have been taught and taught that word when it comes to like a string means tension. And it just reminded me of that of that kind of mantra I have of creating tension in, in almost everything that I do.
1: When you decided to pivot from one career to the next or take on a new role, Do you find yourself struggling to master this new profession or is there a learning curve with each of the jobs that you've taken on?
0: Yeah, I think with any new career and I've reinvented myself, I think two or three times at least by now, there's always a new learning curve. There's new skills to acquire the customers or the people that you serve, your students, whoever that is, always changes and their needs are ever changing. Um, So it's that part is ever present in everything new, but the consistency is in what I believe and what my values are. And that has sort of been pretty solid across the spectrum of, of all the different things that I've done. And if I let those values drive my beliefs and then drive my actions, then while there is new things technically to learn, it's not as if I'm starting from scratch. I'm not rebuilding everything from Ground zero.
1: I think that's one of the things that a lot of teachers who are listening are struggling with. They've been in a profession that they chose as their forever career. And some of them, this is their first profession. And it's it may have been their only profession. So think of this career cycle. They went into education. They got their teaching degree. They did all of their student teaching. And then they got this profession that they thought was going to be their forever career. And they realized something about this isn't right. But they never anticipated That moment happening. And for those of us who have actually left the classroom or have more experience with a career change, it's a little bit easier for us. Like right now, with me, if you told me that your educational consulting position might. Not be your forever career. You may end up needing to find something else in a year. I'd be excited to be a manager of customer learning. I'd be excited for all these other different types of roles. And I'm open to that change. I'm not as afraid as I used to be. But for many people listening right now, they haven't taken that leap yet. This is, you know, that moment where they're listening and they're hearing these stories. What happened, how did you feel one of the first times you actually switched careers?
0: I think the most relevant thing to talk about is the time that I switched from being a teacher to doing this, because I think even when I was an IBM consultant, it, it didn't feel like my heart was really in it. I was always thinking about, well, when am I going to do something else? And so being a teacher, I was like, this is it. I mean, I love this so much. The highs are so high, the lows can be very low. So when I left that, it was really sort of disorienting because I had to figure out like, how do I go from being a teacher with a very specific skill set to do who knows what else? And what I asked myself, the question that I asked myself when I was going through this transition was, what does it mean to teach? What does it mean to be a teacher? Is it that there's a job description that a school has employed me and says, you're a teacher? Is it that I'm in a room every day in front of children? or maybe adult learners. And I suddenly realized my definition of a teacher, and I suspect many people's true definition of a teacher, if they really think about it, is actually much wider than the job description of someone who works in a school building and teaches math and and reading to children. So once I reevaluated what it means to teach and I expanded it, and I came up with the idea of a teacher is somebody who facilitates learning. I can't transmit knowledge to anybody and I may I don't I don't know everything in the world anyway. So if I can create that tension with somebody, then in in many ways I'm teaching. And once I kind of embodied that mindset, once I believed that, I realized that there were a whole bunch of paths that got illuminated in front of me. And before it was kind of like I was flailing around and looking for what might be next. But the minute I thought of myself as, no, I'm still a teacher, but it doesn't mean that I have to be a teacher in this particular context, the way that maybe society or the, uh, the, the District of Columbia where I taught had to find it.
1: That's something that so many people struggle with. And I talk about it all the time. I just interviewed a real estate agent during that transition period when she was trying to figure out what her next step was. Real estate was not her first choice because she felt on paper that it wasn't going to be intrinsically motivating it wasn't going to scratch that itch even though she had family history her dad was really happy as a really successful real estate agent it was really hard for her to mentally put herself in that position even though she knows that her dad wasn't a very salesy type of real estate agent he was very ethical once she opened up the um opportunity for it then she realized that there's a learning component to it. She's walking people through, you know, step-by-step step the home buying process. She's helping people find their first home, but she's also walking them through what the different contracts meet, what types of homes might be the best fit for their needs. And she realized, like, she can bring teaching into almost any environment. And that's something that I always really... Have to explain to a lot of the teachers that I talk to who are struggling right now with that part of it is that on paper, you're not going to find something, unless it's a nonprofit organization or something with an education that sparks the same part of your heart that teaching naturally did. But you're going to bring that, your morals and your values to whatever position you do, and you'll be able to walk away if it doesn't serve you in the way that you want it to. I liked that you talked about choosing careers that are aligned with your core value. Can you tell me some of your specific core values? I'm really interested in hearing that.
0: Yeah. One of my biggest core values that I realized uh, by doing um, coaching training, which is what it's something I've done for the last, uh, I don't know, since the pandemic started, maybe a little bit after it started, um, which I'm happy to talk about uh, later on. Um, but in that process of being trained as a life coach, I had to go through a program where other people coached me and I coached them and we discovered our core values together. And so one of the things that I discovered was really important to me. And it's really obvious when I say this, you probably won't be surprised at this knowing me is the idea of systems thinking and the idea of if I can figure out ways to make the parts of my life that are a little bit more routine, boring, uh, things that, that aren't sparking a creative, uh, aren't sparking me creatively if I can automate those if I can find ways to create systems to take care of those then my mind can focus on what's really important like for instance my taking care of my son or um or being present in front of my spouse or be you know reconnecting with my parents um because that that to me is a lot more important than you know uh Maybe like buy, we, we just recently bought a robot to clean our, our floors, a robot vacuum, um, because it does it on a schedule. It just like does it. It, it cleans everything, goes across the floor. Um, and that's one last thing that I have to have in my mind weighing me down. It's a system that I've created. But there are so many things in my life like that. And if I started talking about that, we go way down a rabbit hole. But that's just one small example of, of that. So that's one core value. Um, another core value to me is integrity and doing something that you believe is worth doing there are people who I used to work with when I worked in the public sector I, I never actually worked in the public sector at IBM but I worked with other clients who told me that they work to vacate and that's fine uh, for them I think that, that that's something that they believe that's that's their that's their core values but I could never do that um, so to me integrity to what I want to put into the world what I want to create is really important um, so those are just a, a couple, um, and I think another one for me that that came up in that session was discipline, and I don't mean discipline in the way that we think of like when we work with children, I mean discipline of like the self, and learning how to get into routines uh, that are are healthy and productive and meet my, my goals in my life, and um, and really finding ways to to create those habits. So habit creation is another core value of mine. I guess I have quite a few, but that's a few of them.
1: Yeah, I think that people really struggle with this part of the job hunting journey because they start to think of what it is specifically. Like, they, I think they're, there's a lot of focus on I have to find something that I'm extremely passionate about, but. I don't really know what I'm passionate about. And that's where a lot of people really struggle with this process. And it's not as easy as I'm gonna find a job that has something to do with puppies because I love puppies. It's more figuring out who you are as a person and how you integrate into someone else's corporation or culture. And like for me, one of the best takeaways that I figured out is I am a people person and if I am entirely on my own, I will struggle if I don't get to have some sort of social aspects. And at the same time, I need alone time and I need autonomy, which it's uh, I have to find careers that are a little bit of of each, because if I don't have autonomy, I will pull out and I will 100 percent check out because I have that creative part of me that wants to own and wants to be able to create something. And so people who are, you know, creative and want to have some sort of role, sometimes they think, okay, well, creative roles, maybe I can only be a graphic designer, but that can also be a corporate trainer, because you get to create the entire presentation, you get to own what the design of that presentation looks like, it can look a lot of different ways. And I hope that this doesn't confuse people more, but you just have to kind of stay open to it.
0: Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And the interesting part about figuring out your values, which is a lot of the work that I do with clients when I first start working with them as a coach, is that a lot of times when you say to someone, what are your values? Now, I could answer that question to you because I've, I've done the exploration. I've really dug deep into what I believe many people, if you ask them that, they'll readily tell you things that they think are their values. And I've worked with clients before that will tell me, one of my values is helping others. And I actually remember a specific client who said, one of my values is helping others and another one is desire. And so when we actually did the work of diving into this person's core values, we realized that helping others was something that was a value that someone else had, that she had adopted as her own value to the point at which she believed it was one of her values. And doing this session revealed to her that helping others is important to her, but it wasn't one of her core values. One of her core values was her own desire to make a difference in the world. And I thought that was really fascinating because and, and I can actually give your listeners uh, something they can ask themselves to start thinking about your core values. Because just saying what are your values often is not really a good way to figure out what your values are, counterintuitively. But think about this. W- think about someone that you admire. Just hold that person in your mind. What kind of qualities do you admire in that person? Because very likely, if you are attracted to someone's qualities, the things that you are appreciating about them are speaking and connecting directly to your core values. Now you can try something else that is, is, is also leading to a similar result in a different way, which is ask yourself what pisses you off. Ask yourself <laughs> what makes you angry about the world and then think about the opposite of that thing. Because when you're pissed off, when you get riled up or irritated, It's because something is messing with your core values. Something is getting tangled with your core values. And so if you think about what that thing is and what the other end of the spectrum of that thing is, oftentimes you find a value. So there's just something to think about for for your listeners. If you want to start thinking about this, that's two ways to get into it.
1: So I feel like I got a little mini life coaching session from you right there because the first things that came to mind for myself, and you can tell me because you know me personally if you feel like these are accurate, but I feel like the first words that came to mind for me, the person that I look up to in the same specter brings the word integrity to mind. And integrity and doing things ethically is something that's very important to me and basically everything that I do. And then the second one would be non-apologetic. I want to be in a situation where I, f- I feel confident standing firm on whatever it is that I'm standing firm. I want to feel confident being able to own the opinions I have as long as I'm being empathetic towards other people's points of view and other perspectives but I want to have that ability to be non-apologetic for who I am and what I bring to the table
0: uh, I won't confirm or deny that because I I, I I, am not you, you know yourself best but I'll ask you this, we'll take the meta view, what you just said those core values, what would 70 year old Daphne say about those values?
1: Uh, I hope she would be a firecracker and love them <laughs> I could imagine she'd be eating some old vegan old lady snack and (laughs) looking back and, and loving it.
0: Then I think that answers your question. I think that validates your beliefs.
1: Yeah, so we've barely talked about this part of who you are and why I really brought you on here is because you're an expert at asking these types of questions and helping other people discover this because you also have a role as a life coach. Can you tell me a little bit about... What you're doing as a life coach and and how you help others.
0: Coaching is a very special relationship, and when I use the word coaching, I'm talking about it the way that I've been trained to coach. Because there are many people that that coach, but you know, it might be like more advice giving or consulting, and um, this is really more about the wisdom that you find in. The, the client that's what we call the person we work with um, it's not like therapy where there's a patient we're actually a business so we're, we're a, there's a client and and we're the coach and it's a special relationship in which I create tension and facilitate learning but I'm not using my own content knowledge to help this person in fact one of the very first times I coached someone came to me with a productivity dilemma that they were having about their task list and how it was too big and that and you know that's my area of expertise and I wanted to tell them all sorts of books to read and strategies to try but I had to hold my tongue and the end result was so much better than anything that I could have ever told them to do so what I do as a coach is I first assume that the client understands themselves better than anyone else when you asked me a minute ago you know do you think this is true about me I was reluctant to answer. I could certainly give you my opinion on that, but I was reluctant to answer because if I, if, I, if I really am being honest, my opinion doesn't matter very much because many people don't trust themselves. And so part of what I do is teach people to trust themselves, to trust their own wisdom. There are times where people will come to me and say things like, I think I need a new job. And after we do a coaching session, they walk away and say, huh, I don't think I need a new job. I think I need to change how I behave in my current job. I think I need to change how I'm acting in my current job. Now, that's probably not true for many of your listeners because teaching is one of those jobs where when you know it's time to go, you know it's time.
1: (laughs) The first thing that I always kind of say for teachers in general is if you're having that kind of feeling in your stomach, start to explore changing grade levels because it could just be a grade level fit. If the classroom management of handling a third grade classroom is a little bit too much for you, maybe sixth grade would be a little bit easier and fit more with your personality, or your grade level team might be a little bit more supportive in the way that that grade level does it. If not, change schools or districts altogether, because it might be kind of a culture fit. You may have a toxic administration, or just find a more supportive administration or a school that's a better fit for you and after trying those types of fits that's really where you can start to understand whether or not you exhausted all other options within this career you looked into potentially working at your school district at different levels and focused on maybe going to therapy self-care but after that you know you've exhausted your options and it's okay to walk away if it's not serving you there are, there are ways there are roadblocks to put in place before you make that ultimate decision because nobody wants to leave. It's not going to be an easy overnight fix. And it's a really difficult decision to make, but... Yes. Most of the people who are listening probably have come to that realization. I just like to put those caveats in just in case it's their first time listening of here are a couple ideas yeah. to to check out before. Well, that's,
0: that's the beautiful thing about figuring out what your core values are, because once you actually figure out what those what, what those are, they become anchors to your ship. And no matter what you decide to do, you can always look at it through the lens of your core values. There are times when I'll work with a client and they'll be at a crossroads, they'll have to make a decision between maybe changing jobs or maybe doing something differently with uh, a relationship in their life. And once we define their core values and we actually look at their core values, all of a sudden the answer, the thing that they actually should do according to themselves and no one else is so incredibly obvious. And so for some of your listeners, if they're feeling those, those nudges that like, this might not be the right career for me, and they don't really know what their core values are, I encourage them to find out. Because once they do, they can look at another grade level and say, does that work with my core values? I don't think so. Does this particular school's culture work with my core values? Well, maybe it does. And maybe that will fulfill me in a way that my current job didn't. So it's not always necessarily the profession, though oftentimes it is.
1: (laughs) And sometimes it's struggling with feeling stagnant and just having a routine that's day after day after day. And I think COVID has taught that to a lot of us, I've been ready to move out of Los Angeles and open up a, a store that sells crystals in Utah just because I've gone a little bit bonkers staying within the same routine day after day. And I think that not not as extreme as COVID, but just in general, that's something that's universal is if you feel like you've been in a role where it's not challenging you and you're using the same curriculum and you're doing the same thing over and over again, maybe you might want to explore opportunities after school to create additional side income or explore just creative outlets that might be the puzzle piece that's been missing and making you kind of feel full.
0: I like what you said about being nutty. That That's really what it takes sometimes to shift perspective, which is another thing I do as a coach um, because people often, and myself included, Get locked into a very narrow view of things without realizing it, and so when you suggest something that's completely outside of that view, it's like, well, I could never do that. But actually, when you start to widen it a little bit and you realize there are a lot of possibilities, there are many possibilities, some of which may not be feasible, some of which may not be logistically possible. But the fact is, those possibilities are there. It's a little bit like any teacher who who's listening to this most likely knows about the work of Carol Dweck and mindset and the way that. She really believes that it's about not being able to do something yet versus not being able to do it, period.
1: What other challenges have you seen some of your coaching clients go through as far as just evaluating what's going on in their life that they need direction or validation about?
0: That's a big chunk of it. But I think the the biggest thing that people will come to me and say, because I tend to coach people that are around my age, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s, and so I tend to coach people that are in that that similar age bracket, and they're at certain points in their career, whether it's teaching or something else, where they're looking to figure out, I've gone this long now being told what to do. What is it that now I would like to do with my career? And it's not as if that's always possible. I know we have bosses and, and customers that we have to tend to, and it's not always possible just to do the thing that we want to do. But that's the question that most people are asking themselves, at least of the ones that I coach. Another thing I get often are people who find that they have certain blockages when it comes to getting things done. It's not as if they don't have a robust system for like managing their tasks, or it's not as if they need a new calendar app or something like that. They just have emotional blocks around actually taking the next step on what it is they want to do. Because if you don't know what the next step is and what you want to do, it becomes very challenging. I'll give you an example that actually doesn't come from coaching but could very much relate to it. When my wife and I were in college, I've known her since college, since my first day of college. Um, so we've been together almost 18 years now. Uh, when we were seniors, she was writing a thesis for her capstone, which was like a the end of a long program that we were doing. And I remember she showed me her to-do list one day and the to-do list said, buy eggs, make bed, do thesis. <laughs> I mean, I don't think those first two were the actual items, but you get the idea. There were like these small things that she needed to get done that she could just do, but then write thesis. That's humongous. That requires <laughs> tiny, tiny, tiny micro steps. And most people look at their their next decision as that, as that gigantic step. So what I like to focus on is how do we change your life in small pieces? Because all of those add up to a large transformation. And so... Not knowing what to do next is simply a matter of not understanding where your values are and then how they fit into the context of your life. So, of course, you have to figure out your core values. I've talked about that quite a bit, but also then figuring out what to do with them, how to use them to then make decisions that really speak to you. And I find that those people in my that I coach... When they decide what they need to do next, it's always something that's really tiny. Whereas someone might have come in and said, I need to change jobs, they might leave and say, I need to talk to such and such person first. I need to go online and look up three different types of jobs that I might be interested in. And it's this tiny little thing that they could do in an afternoon. And that tiny little step moves them closer to their goal, much closer than they would have by sitting there and saying, I don't know what to do next. I'm just going to wait it out until, I don't know, it hits me, which generally speaking uh, may happen sometimes, but takes a lot longer than when you sit down with someone and actually evaluate what are my values and what are they telling me to do?
1: Yeah, that's how I structured the teacher career coach course actually is putting all of the large pieces of a career transition because I hate to burst anybody's bubble that's listening But I wish it was very easy, but it does take effort and time to figure it out and to do all the steps. But I chunk it into tiny bite-sized pieces. And like you said, instead of saying, find a new job, it starts off with, this is what you should be doing now, even three months before you're thinking of applying. And it's a small piece, which is Reach out to three people that you have contacts with that you are inspired by, that you know personally, and just ask them about their jobs and just feel if that's a good job fit for you. Those are really small and easy to do tasks that you can get started with months in advance that start to move you forward where you have more clarity. You can start writing your resume in these types of directions once you understand the skill sets that you might be lacking. But That big piece is honestly huge. It's just looking at this huge thing. For me, one one area that I struggle with because I break everything into smaller chunks, and this is a system that I've put into place in the last few years. I have big annual goals, I have quarterly goals, and I break them all down where it's all very linear and it all adds together to my overall annual goals. I have three small goals per day. And then those goals, you know, go to my weekly and my monthly and my quarterly. I start to realize I put too many goals on my own plate. And I think that that's something that people who are wanting to be productive and people who are wanting to own this task find themselves doing and then they beat themselves up for it if they're not able to actually achieve all their goals. But there's a difference between being productive and being proactive on your future, and then also putting too much strain on yourself. So you do have to put realistic, smaller goals. And if you find yourself struggling to accomplish them, scale them back a little bit and realize, you know, this process takes time. I'm, I'll lie and say 22 years old, but that's not true. But I've done so much over my you know the span of my lifetime i'm not going to accomplish just as much in the next 2 months if i want to see a huge change it might take a year or two of small goals and small process
0: but the but the very first step i mean you said being productive being proactive the very first word in those sentences is being the first thing you have to know and this this ties into what a lot of i feel like teachers when they leave the classroom feel you, you know this. You've seen teachers who leave the classroom and start a new career, and they feel like imposters because mm-hmm. all they know is being a teacher. And so now they're in this new role where they're being asked to maybe use technology or whatever it is. And they feel like this. this I, I don't know if, this, if I should do this. I don't know if this is me. You have to start by realizing that part of what they call imposter syndrome is that you are not a, really much of an imposter to anyone else. Most people are thinking about themselves. Mostly that feeling is being an imposter to yourself is actually not identifying as the new thing that you're trying to be. And so if you start by identifying as the new thing that you wanna be, even before you are that thing, the road again becomes illuminated. It ties into all the other things we've been talking about, but that's the idea.
1: I read this quote and I wish I had the proper person to give credit for the quote. I'm just saying what I remember, but it might be a little misquoted. Don't fake it until you make it. Face it until you make it, and then try again. You're like you're gonna fail, but I hate that feeling of faking it until you make it because it gives. I think it gives your imposter syndrome a little bit more, um, a
0: juice. little bit
1: more juice to grow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was a perfect word for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're not faking it. When people say "fake it till they make it," and you watch them do what they're doing. The only person that feels that it's fake is them. When other people are watching them do it, they they don't think about that being fake. So when people say, oh, I, fa- I faked it until I made it, the only person that knows that is them and it's their belief. And, and it makes you wonder how much that belief really holds us back.
1: But I think it gives a false sense of someday you're going to have it all figured out, which I don't think anyone really truly does. That fake right. it until you make it sounds right. like you know, someday you hit that point and you're like, cool, I know exactly everything that's going to happen in my future and I'll never change. And I've got everything mastered and I'm a perfection in my industry and everybody looks up to me. You know, that's, that's never accurate.
0: One of my good friends uh, and songwriter, a great songwriter named Nick Blamire says, when you make things, you make things better. I like that saying better than fake it till you make it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the same with careers as well. I'm, sure you were in the same boat as an educational consultant, one of the roles that they asked us to do was speak in front of, you know, large audiences at national conferences. And I am an outgoing person. However, I was terrified. And I don't know how you felt about your first few um, experiences with that. But that was a fake it till you make it moment where I get a little better. But every time I'm a little terrified. My podcast makes me a little terrified. Anytime I'm on film, I am.
0: Yeah, I, have, I used to have a mentor that told me, she said, I live in, in between fear and joy and that's the best place to be. Uh, and I, I always kind of think about that. I think those were the two words she used, fear and joy. And I thought that was a really cool way of looking at it. Like if what we're doing is not scaring us a little bit, then perhaps it means that, that's that we've outgrown whatever that thing is like for instance i lift i lift weights which is so interesting like even saying that i feel like an imposter because <laughs> i mean it's just such a weird thing to say i do powerlifting. that's just a weird thing to say uh i always have to qualify it saying i I'm, i don't compete though i'm not one of those power lifters and so when when i when i lift and i do a set of however many reps if i can do those number of reps i'm going to add more weight to the bar because what i've doing, I've already conquered that particular weight, whatever it might be. And I feel like that's that's the case. If, I, if what I'm doing every day is not giving me a little bit of like, am I, am I going to actually be able to do this? Then I have to up my game a little bit.
1: I love that. I haven't thought about doing something scary on a daily basis, but I do feel like every time I do something scary, I realize that that's because there's a big reward at the end of it. And that's a really great mindset shift to have. Zia, as we're wrapping up here, I just wanted to ask from your perspective as a life coach, and I know that this is such a generalized answer, which is hard, but let's say that there's somebody who's listening who all of this is resonating with them. They know that they're feeling stagnant, or they know that they're absolutely miserable. What are the first few things that they can put in their life that can help validate that they should move towards a big, scary change?
0: I think the first thing, the very first thing, before you do any of that, before you think about changing, before you think about new careers, is you have to quit your mindset. You have to quit whatever mindset is holding you back. Whatever that fear is, I, I often think of it as holding balloons. If all the things that are holding you back, if you label them on little balloons that you're holding, you have to first say to yourself, I am holding these balloons. And you have to feel what that feels like. And a lot of what I do in coaching is getting people to stop for a minute and actually feel what it feels like to hold on to those balloons and the fact that those balloons are holding on to them as well. And then figuring out which of these balloons I'm going to let go of. And once you get over the initial hurdle of, I felt this, and now I'm ready to let go of whatever is holding me back, just saying I'm ready doesn't matter if you don't know how it's going to go or what's going to happen next but just by saying i'm ready you put yourself in a position to move to the next step and then i think it's about figuring out what do i really stand for what are my core values it all comes back to that
1: holy crap i am moving to utah i'm doing the crystal shop i know that it's going to make me happy don't tell jonathan Honestly, Zia, you are such a wealth of knowledge, and I've always really looked up to you as a colleague and always look forward to having these conversations for my listeners right now.
0: Likewise, Daphne.
1: Oh, I really appreciate that. I'm going to yeah. leave that in. Jonathan, don't edit that. <laughs> um, don't edit but,
0: any sweet moments, Jonathan, please.
1: <laughs> but for any of my listeners who want to connect with you and learn from you and and grow in their own personal journey, where can they find you?
0: My website is ziahassan.coach. It has just been launched. I do have my own podcast as well that I will, I will just be completely transparent and tell everyone that uh, Daphne was the person who convinced me I should do this after a while of thinking about it myself. So coaches need coaching as well. <laughs> and, um, and the, the podcast is called gently down the stream. It's available everywhere. And you can find my coaching services at ziahassan.coach. It's not just the services on there. There's a blog, there's a podcast, and hopefully... And and one thing that I just want to point out about all the stuff on my site is that it often feels like when you coach with me, you're just going to get an hour of this. Like me just being like, you got to find your core values, you know, but it's not like that at all. It's very focused on the person that I'm working with. So you're not going to hear me give advice or anything like that when we do coaching together. You're going to actually... Uh, do all the hefty lifting on your own. So the sessions that I offer on my site, there are a bunch of different categories. They're all basically the same idea. It's I just look at those as a way of understanding who's coming and what they're coming with. So there's just general life coaching, which could be any category. There's productivity coaching. There's career coaching coaching. Um, the skill of coaching can be transferred to any of these domains. It's not as if I have any idea of like what types of careers are out there. That's your domain and you're you're the expert on that when it comes to teaching. Um but uh the the actual session I'm offering 50% off for your listeners if you use code Daphne. Hopefully they know how to spell Daphne. I know
1: that's a that's a tricky one. They have to
0: D A P H N E. If you use that code on my site, you can book a time with me for 50% off and it's not necessarily, it's usually about an hour long, but it's really more about the, the arc of coaching. We take off and we land the plane at the end, and that whole cycle is what I describe as a session. You end up having some kind of insight, some kind of takeaway, some kind of next step that will slowly, slowly over time, build up to large transformations that's what i what's what i say in my site small changes big transformation
1: and i look forward to having you back on as a guest in the future and also hearing some of those transformations as you work with everyone so thank you so much zia for coming today i really appreciated having this conversation with you
0: oh for sure we could talk for hours and i'm more than happy to come back another time so thank you for having me
1: I wanna give a special thanks to Zia for coming on and sharing so much great information with the Teacher Career Coach community. Make sure to check out Zia's podcast gently down the stream and listen to some of his great past episodes about being present and being patient. You'll find the episodes transcripts linked in the show notes if you'd like to review any of the information that was discussed. As always, please continue to help share this podcast with others who are looking for this type of support and leave a rating and review so other people are able to find this community. I'll see you on the next episode.